Hey everyone, this is Rabbi Brian. If these podcasts have been a blessing to you, will you please consider being a blessing to the nation of Haiti? Mishkan David supports two works of the Lord in Haiti. First is our orphanage, Beth Besed, which means House of Kindness, where 40 children are cared for each day, both spiritually and physically. And of course, there's our own Rabbi Peter Oliveira, who's setting Haiti ablaze by restoring it back to Yeshua, restoring it back to Torah, and to the Jewish roots of our faith in Messiah. Listen, to learn more, please visit www.torahforhaiti.org. That's T-O-R-A-H, number four, Haiti.org. There you can give a tax-deductible financial blessing and sponsor a child for only $20 a month. Hey, thanks for considering, and may Adonai bless you. Enjoy this podcast, which was recorded at our Mishkan David Shabbat service in Rhode Island. Shalom. This one rabbi was working with this ex-con. This ex-con came into his office. He was seeking God. He was looking to continue or, or enhance his relationship with God. Now, this guy that was just out of jail had a pretty big anger problem. He flew off the handle pretty easily. He had a violent tendency. And here he was in front of this rabbi, and, and the rabbi's like, how can I help this one man who has a tendency to be violent, who if you go up him sideways a little bit, if you cross him, he may pop you. And now he wants to, like, be more religious. Now, this is from an Orthodox Jewish perspective. So the one rabbi said, you ever think of becoming a kosher butcher? Now, in Judaism, animals have to be slaughtered a certain way. In Orthodox Judaism, they have to be slaughtered a certain way. And there are butchers that are trained to slaughter the animals a certain way. The root of it comes from the Torah, from the Bible, where it says you're not, you shouldn't eat blood. So they slice, they kill the animal a certain way where the blood drains. That's a specific skill. But this one rabbi saw this guy who had a violent tendency, and he said, what about being a kosher butcher? And you guys said, I don't know. So he trained him to be a kosher butcher, and he wound up excelling at the job. What I'm trying to say is this rabbi found something in this man that was able to be used, as he saw it, for the glory of God. And I, as a, as a community leader, that sentiment is important to me. Because I feel that way also, because we all come here to Mishkan David from various walks of life. Messianic Judaism is a weird animal. And not just because Bob's here. See, in, in Christianity, every town has its Baptist church and its Lutheran church and its Protestant church and its Presbyterian church or its Pentecostal church or Catholic church. What? Mormon church. Okay. <laughs> hey, how many other churches can you think of? <laughs> so, you know, every town has its churches. Messianic Judaism is in a place right now where there's like one in a region so anybody who feels called, whether you're Jewish and you believe in Yeshua, or you're not Jewish, you're Gentile, and you're like, you know what? There's something in this for me. Jesus was Jewish. Paul was Jewish. All the disciples are Jewish. There's something about the root of this faith that's not just for them. It's for me. It's my heritage. I want to come and see what this is all about. There's kind of only one place to go, and you're here. <laughs> 
which means we get a lot of, you know, just a lot of a diverse set of people in the congregation. A diversity of thought, a diversity of background. And when I hear the story of this one rabbi who was able to look at this ex-convict who just came out of jail, who was still popping people in the mouth when they looked at him sideways, and saw that what he had can be used for God. That speaks to me as a leader because everybody here has a light within them, a gift that God has given. I, I got a vision, I think it was last week or the week before, where every time, we, whenever somebody accepts the Lord, Yeshua, Jesus, and we come into the kingdom of God, just like the first man, Adam, was given a garden to tend, I believe in a way, in spirit, every single person, every believer is given a garden to tend. God has said, okay, you're now mine, you're now in the family, tend to this. Now that garden may be your family, it could be a ministry, it could be a congregation, it could be your kids, your job, whatever it is, there's something, there's a level of responsibility that God has given you that says, this is now yours, I've given you this territory, now bring my glory to it. Every single person. But not only does he give us the garden, he gives us the tool to tend to that garden. And I feel that my job as a rabbi is to find that tool within each and every person and say, this is yours. This is the gift that you have. This is what God has given you to tend to your garden. And because we're such a diverse group, the gift may be very, very different. I mean, we have people in this group from Pentecostal backgrounds. Who's from the Pentecostal background? <laughs> Who's from a Catholic background? Who's from a Baptist background? So, you know what I mean? Like, it's, this is what happens. So everybody's kind of unique and wired very differently. And that's the beautiful fabric of what Adonai created in each of us. That our, our gifts, our garden, our, our, our talents, what he's given us is so very unique and so very precious and so very special. And because of our unique backgrounds, even though there's only one God but God, one God, one Lord, one Spirit. Because we're all wired uniquely, like if this is God, like some people may have see this bulb and some people may see this bulb or some people may see the little flower ornaments in the light and, and focus on that. Because God is so multifaceted, as much as we know him, we don't know him. So if this is God, now not that God can be contained, but if this is God, let's say the screen is God, and we get this incredible revelation of who he is, and he downloads this amazing reality into us, we're like, oh my gosh, we know him so much more. You know how much of God we know? That. And I have to say this. Like, in Messianic Judaism, you got to withhold it because a lot of people come into Messianic Judaism like, we keep the Sabbath. <laughs> we know now what God wants. We have the Torah. We keep the holidays. You know what? If, if you, like, understand the Jewish roots of our faith and you, and you keep the Sabbath perfectly and you think you, know, you got it all set, you know how much of God you know? That. And, the, and, you know, but the, but the beautiful thing is God is gracious. He's kind. He's merciful. 
He's just. He's compassionate. What else is he? He's, he's loving. He's, he's, he, he, he's a God of order and the God of freedom. Now, the beautiful thing is some people will come here and because of their unique wiring, they, they, they relate, they connect. Their divine connection is to the God of order. That's their connection. Like they relate to that. God's a God of law. He's a God of order. He wants things done right. He wants to keep us in line. And that's where you relate. That's where you relate. And then there's somebody else who's like, God's a God of freedom. And they relate to that. And he just lets me jump around and just be crazy. Do you know what I'm saying? We all connect with this part of God that we all sort of relate to. Like, you, you, could, you could say, God is king. And, like, I just need to bow before him. And I need to prostrate myself because he's king and he's holy. And that's the part that you recognize and relate to. But then somebody else may be like, he's my lover. He's what? Ish, yes, okay, yes. Like, he's my, he's my lover. Like, like, I make love with God. Like, people... That may sound weird, but it's true. Like, okay. So, like, or he's my, he's my, he's my friend. People may relate to the friend part of God. Do you know what I mean? Like some people relate to this aspect and some people relate to that aspect. And this is the problem. The, the evil demon of religion wants to separate us because of that, because of all these little differences. The evil demon of religion wants the denomination of where he's king and the denomination of where he's free. Or the denomination of where he's a God of law and order and the denomination of where he's free. Or the denomination of where, um, where he's lover and the denomination of where he's king. That's what humans want to do. They want to separate. But God wants us all together. So how do we learn more about God? When we all come together, the person who recognizes king, the person who recognizes him as lover, the person who recognizes him as, as holy, the person who recognizes him as I want to lay prostrate, the person that recognizes him as God of order, the person that recognizes him as a God of freedom, we all come together, we celebrate together. That is unity in spirit. Unity in spirit. Now listen. Disagreement does not mean disunity. Disagreement doesn't even mean division. Disagreement's going to happen. The whole reason there was a sect of the Pharisees and a sect of the Sadducees is because there were disagreement on certain things. We are going to disagree on various topics, even theological topics. But Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus the Messiah is the center. He is the light in the middle. He is the tabernacle in the center of all of Israel that gathers around him. He is what we gather around, and the evil demon of religion wants us arguing about all the little things. And when I hear all the arguments happening that can happen between, between people, this is why I don't, I don't get involved. Now, bl believe me, there's such a thing as falsehood. There are false prophets. There are you, can, you can be completely, completely false. But I got to tell you, most of the things that people argue about is not about right or wrong. It's about perspective. He's king. He's lover. You shouldn't be calling him lover. 
oh, if you're calling him king, you're a, you're, you have a religious spirit. Do you know what I'm saying? Do you know what I'm saying? These are all aspects of God, and we argue, we can argue about things that aren't even, none of them are false. You know, I was doing a little study on Yeshua and his disciples. Do you know that he had a lot of diversity, it seems, in his 12? <laughs> you know, we tend to think that they were all a bunch of loser tax collectors or something like that. And, you know, we know that there was, there was certainly some of them. I mean, they're all losers. We're all losers. How many losers here? Yeah. Okay. Um, but but there, was, there was incredible diversity. I mean, you had like, well, James. James wasn't one of the 12, but James was very respected in Judaism as a righteous man. Even in Pharisaic Judaism, the writings of him, he was a very righteous, holy Torah-observant Jew. Even the writings of, of, of Josephus call him James the Just, Yaakov, Hatzadik, James the Righteous. He was a very, very holy dude. And you have um, John. John, if you, if, you, if you dig into the scripture a little bit, in his book, in the book of John, and in the beginning of the book of Acts, he was part of the priestly family. That's why he was allowed to go into the chamber when, uh, when Peter wasn't, when Yeshua was on trial. And there's other places that, that say that he was part of the priestly family. That's why, that means he was a Sadducee. Because the Sadducees are the priests, and the priests were corrupt. They were like in bed with Rome in a bad way. Like they were, they were on the take. These are God's holy priests ministering in the temple, and they were on the take from the government. He had one of those guys as his disciple. You ever hear of Simon the Zealot? You know what the Zealots were? I hate to tell you this. I hate to, I hate, I, this, this is going to really tick off a lot of the conservatives here. The Zealots of the time were like the Antifa of the time. They were. The, the Jewish writings called them uh, ruffians, uh, barbarians. These were, these were the, the anarchists of the time that hated Rome so badly they just wanted to like blow up cities just to get them out. And the Pharisees were like, calm down, man. Let's just try to have a peaceful solution to this thing. And they were like, no way. They're the ones that put on like all the black masks and, you know, lit fires to cities. The zealots. One of them was Yeshua's disciple. There was diversity of thought in Yeshua's little inner sanctum, his little, his little group of people, because he is the center. And when he's our center, so much of it becomes unimportant. Because he is the one that is all important. And we focus on him. Yeshua went to Peter and said, who are the people what are the people saying about me? Well, some say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Jeremiah the prophet, and some say you're, you're, you're this, and some say you're that. But who do you say I am? You are the Messiah, son of the living God. Ata, who, Hamashiach, ben Elohim, Chaim. You are the Messiah, son of the living God. You are the Messiah, son of the living God. And upon this, I'm going to... And upon this rock, I'm going to build my congregation, my kahila. I'm going to build my congregation. That he is the Messiah, son of the living God. He is the center of the whole thing. I mean, the body of Messiah can argue about the craziest stuff. We can argue about the craziest stuff. I mean, we have, thank God, we have a lot of unity in this place. Thank God. We have a lot of unity and a lot of love in this place. Thank God. All right, that's the... That's the eighth thing I got right to Bob. I'm very happy about that. 
It's a good message for Bob. And, and with, you know, the, the body of Messiah could split and divide and subdivide over the simplest little things. How many Christian denominations are there? Like, if you go onto Wikipedia, there's like a thousand. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you, Judaism's got Christianity beat on that. There's only three. There's the Orthodox, the Conservative, and the Reform. There's the Re Reconstructionist, four. Four. And Messianic, right? Five. <laughs> but even in Messianic, you know, well, we think we have the name of God right. We're going to meet over here. Or we think we're, 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 we're Torah observant. We're more Torah observant. We're going to go over here. Or we're more, we have the gifts of the Spirit. We're going to go over here. We can divide over this, so many different things. How about we just grab, go arm in arm and take this land together? We can't do it alone. We are not supposed to do it alone. It is not good for man to be alone, he said to Adam. He said that to Adam when Adam already had God. Oh, you got to hear this. God, who walked in the garden with Adam, who had a face-to-face -face relationship with Adam. They were playing poker together. They were walking in the garden together. They were drinking Starbucks together. But there was no Starbucks there. They were taking it right from the beans, you know, it was all on the plants and everything like that. You know, the, this, the beans in the Garden of Eden were like dispensing coffee. That's my Garden of Eden. I mean, he had an amazing relationship with God. He had an amazing relationship with God. He wasn't alone. He had God. I don't need anybody. I have God. You ever hear that? You ever feel that way? I felt that way. We all feel that way. But even Adam, who had this incredible relationship with God, God said, it's not good for you to be alone. That's because we need each other. We need each other. We need each other. We need each other. So in instead of dividing, because one person sees this aspect of our holy God and another person sees this aspect of our holy God, how about we recognize that there's a reason why this person sees this aspect, because that, that's his strength. That's the part of him that needs to be fostered. That's the part of him or her that can become the kosher butcher. Do you know what I'm saying? And the person that, that views God as the lover, well, that, that's just how that person is wired. And foster it. And let that grow. And it doesn't mean we don't disagree. You know, disagreeing is like sandpaper where we both become a little smoother after it's all done. It's, hey, that's a good one, right? But it's, it's part of life. Oh. The New Testament says all the apostles and the disciples, all the believers were in one accord. If you look at Acts 15, man, when there was that debate about, like, what are we going to do with all these Gentiles? Do they have to keep all the Torah? What do they have to keep? Do they have to keep any of it? Do they have to keep some of it? What do we do with it? We don't like them. I think they should go away. And Peter said, no, it's, they, the Holy Spirit was poured on them. They believe like we believe. And now, now the, the, the God is no, no respecter of persons. And they're like, no, 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 but they still got to do this. So we got to take out the scissors and do everything. And then, and, but, you know, but they got to do all this. No, they don't have to do all this. That, that was a fierce debate. That was a fierce debate. Fierce debate. One accord still. Later on in that chapter, Paul and Barnabas were, were really having a major disagreement about going on a, 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 an evangelical trip with this guy, John Mark. John, who was called Mark. Everybody had two names back then. So they, they didn't want to, they didn't know if they wanted to break. So they had, a, they had a debate about it because Paul was pretty ticked off, apparently, that in some previous trip he didn't go or did something wrong or something like that. So him and Barnabas had, this, had, an, had just an, an intense argument, it says. Still, one accord. 
Peter sharply, Paul sharply rebuked Peter for um, acting out in the flesh when it came to Jewish people. So he was eating with a Gentile, and then a, some of his Jewish buddies came along. And said, oh, I'm not eating with them. And, and Paul sharply rebuked him. That rebuke is in the scripture. Still, one accord. Disagreement is not division. Disagreement is going to happen. Disagreement's going to happen. But how we handle the disagreement is really what should set us apart from anybody else. That's what should set apart the ones who have the Prince of Peace, Sar Shalom, in the center of their tabernacle. Disagreements happen. And I'll close a little bit with this. What I mean by I'll close a little bit is I, I think I'm done, but I may not be. So thank you, Bob. Okay. The Torah has the solution for division. For the, not division, for not getting along. It has the divine solution. And it's what I love about God and his ways. The solution, something called the regalim. That silence means nobody knows what the word regalim means. So I'm going to tell you what it means. The regalim are the pilgrimage festivals like we enter into tomorrow night when the Feast of Tabernacles starts. There are three regalim, pilgrimage festivals, Passover, Shavuot, Feast of Weeks, and Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles. What does it mean that they're pilgrimage festivals? Every Jew, whether you like them or not, whether you're getting along or not, whether you're disagreeing or not, don't have the option of making the Church of Jesus Christ over here or the Church of Jesus Christ over here and doing a, I'll do my celebration over here and you can do your celebration over there. Three times a year, everybody comes together and celebrates. And that's the commandment. Everybody comes together. Do you understand? It, it transcends whether we like each other or not. It transcends if we're disagreeing or not. It transcends if, if, we, if we, we don't relate to somebody or, or we have a theological disagreement. When it comes down to the regalim, the three pilgrimage festivals, everybody comes together into Jerusalem to celebrate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It is God's solution to disunity, commands us all to celebrate together. Passover, nobody got left behind in, each, in Egypt. Shavuot, the giving of the Torah, and everybody heard God's words come down. And Sukkot is an end times festival, by the way. It's an end times festival. We even see in the book of John, Yeshua, they said, okay, it's kind of here, it's time for the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. You're going to come to Jerusalem, Yeshua? And he said, nah, it's not my time yet. That's a hint that it's a futuristic festival. But he still came, secretly, halfway through, from that point on to the end, he revealed himself. Another hint that it's, an end, it's, a, it's a festival that celebrates the end times when he returns. And as it says, the tabernacle of God was, was, with, man, was with man. That's the full fulfillment of it. And then it says, on the last great day of the festival, Yeshua said, which even in this day in Judaism is called the last great day, Hoshana Rabbah. The great supplicate day of the great supplication. 
Hoshana Rabbah, the last day, the seventh day of Sukkot. It's celebrated now in Judaism. 2,000 years ago in the Gospels, it said, now on the last great day of the festival, same thing. The Gospel is so Jewish. The Gospels are so Jewish. They're so Jewish. Written by Jews. There's so much light and, and, and things we can glean from it when we recognize, oh my gosh, it all goes back. And that last day, Yeshua said, whoever is thirsty, come and drink. He said that on Sukkot. Revelation 22, the end of the book, the Spirit says, all who are thirsty, come and drink from the waters of life for free. It's the same thing. Yeshua said it on Sukkot. The next time we see that exact sentence is in the very end in Revelation. Sukkot, what we're going to celebrate is an end times festival. It commemorates when the King of Kings is back with us forever and ever. And it's a celebration of unity. When we all come together, we're commanded to come together. Commanded to come together. Knowing that it's more important than any little disagreement about whatever it is that we have. So at the end of Deuteronomy, which is where we are in the Torah, we're at the very end of Deuteronomy. This is Moses' Moses' last speech. His big speech. Before he dies. Before the entrance into the promised land by Joshua. Yeshua gave a big speech also before he was crucified, and that's in the book of John, his last speech before being handed over to the Romans for crucifixion. And John 17, one of the last words he said, one of the last words that Yeshua said, One of the last words that Yeshua said before his crucifixion, before he was handed over to be killed for our sins, one of his last words, that they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. So also may they be one in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them as you loved me. The parting words of Yeshua were words of may they be one, as I and the Father are one. So let's stand up. So Adonai, as we enter into, and as we are in right now, Zaman Simchatenu, the time of our rejoicing. We are in the time of our rejoicing. For the last 40 days on on the biblical calendar, we've been in a time of introspection, a time of repenting, a time of making things right with each other, making things right with God, about asking God to reveal what what is unholy within me. And to just be honest and raw with each other and honest and raw before God. And that's been the, the, the last 40 days on the calendar from Rosh Hashanah, actually before that, from the sixth month, all the way through Rosh Hashanah, all the way through the Day of Atonement, and which we went through. And now we are in Zaman Simchatenu, the time of our rejoicing. Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, starts tomorrow night. 
And may we enter into this time, one of the regalim, the pilgrimage festivals, in unity with each other. It does not mean that we agree on every little thing. It does not mean that we relate to each other on every little thing. And honestly, it doesn't even mean that we have to really like each other all that very much. To be quite honest, you don't have to like them to love them. But may we enter in with divine unity. Divine unity. Divine unity. Unity is out of nice seas, oneness. Just look, look at the vision of the, of the people of Israel in the wilderness. There were tribe, 12 tribes, each with different callings, different allocations of land, different purposes, different prophetic words spoken over them by their father Jacob. All gathered around that tabernacle with the smoke coming up. That's how God sees his people. That's how God sees his people. Let us enter into Sukkot, not with the spirit of division, not with the spirit of disunity. Work out your disagreements, brothers and sisters, in love. But let us enter into Sukkot, the time of our rejoicing, in divine unity. May we be as one as Yeshua and his Father are one. May we enter into this year, 5779, the Jewish year, 5779, which we are prophetically calling in Mishkan David, the year of expansion. May we enter in and we, may we partake of your year of expansion for us with unity. True, true unity. In Yeshua's name, amen.